Today's episode of Cinema Gush is brought to you by the Out of Order Trope. If you watch TV, you've seen this trope, and while you may not have consciously noticed, you've felt the studio meddling. Remember how Futurama had 75% of its episodes aired out of order? Not that big a deal, it's episodic, but still, the character motivations kind of seemed all over the place. Or how about that time when the Firefly pilot aired a week after the planned season finale? That was confusing. I doubt it affected the audience adoption rate or anything. Anyway, that's the trope that is sponsoring us today. I don't know why. Without any further ado, though, I hope you enjoy our Christmas episode. Hey, Brandon. Hey, Nick. Do you know what movie is more of a Christmas movie than Die Hard? I think I have an idea. The Green Knight! Ooh, that's a movie about Christmas! It sure is, and it's a movie that's a hell of a lot more about Christmas than Die Hard. Welcome, everybody, that's true. to this episode of Cinema Gush. I am your host, Nick, and co-host Brendan, and I'm a co-host as well. And, and we got guests from time to time, but from time to time, we just love to gush about our own stuff. And uh, this was a movie that Brendan gave me uh, to, act, to actually start a voodoo account. Is it, it's it's <laughs> Vudu, right? Or Vudu? I don't know. Whatever the Walmart yeah, services. Yeah, Vudu. Vudu. I like that. Uh, so I started my account uh, when Brendan gave me this movie for free, and I'm so glad he did, because uh, it's freaking amazing. Uh, Brendan, uh, what are we gushing about today? Yeah, so this was my favorite movie of last year. and uh, Amazing. I say that, but yesterday, the day, two days ago I watched it, it was actually the second time I've seen it. Um, I bought it as soon as it came out, and then, you know, life. But life. This movie, so I, I saw it in theaters. It's me and John Riley, who's also been on the podcast, and his wife. We went, all went and saw it, and uh, I found it mesmerizing. Um, Ooh! It was it was just it's it's so visually stunning, and it it works its way through, and the whole thing just I don't know it just hit right. And I came home and I was just enthralled by it. And I walked up to my wife and I went, I can't wait to tell you everything about this movie. So here's eight bucks. You need to go see it tomorrow so we can talk about it. <laughs> Fantastic. We, we have shared money. I didn't actually hand her eight bucks. So I basically told her, you're going to see this tomorrow because I want to talk about it. And it was so much work to hide all the, the thoughts because I had so many thoughts. Um, I guess a little bit. We're, we're going to spoil the movie, which, I mean, it's The Green Knight. It's, it's based on a poem that's, you know... A thousand years old. So. About to say, yeah, was discovered in the or the fourteenth century was discovered, but it's supposed to be a lot older than that, from what I understand. Now, this is a riff on the Green Knight. There are some major differences. We'll talk about them, including an up into the ending, which mm-hmm. can't wait to talk about. Yes. Um, arguably, I think this ending is a more optimistic ending than the actual mm-hmm. poem. Um, but. Yeah, so we're gonna. I, I'm just saying out loud. I'm gonna spoil the movie. Also, mild content warning. There is some stuff. I mean, slightly worse than your average cinema gush, but uh, <laughs> there is some stuff. Considerably not bad than your average podcast in general. Um, Indeed, but, I did uh, think it was odd that you mentioned uh, last week uh, Shinji in the Evangelion movie because it was <laughs> apropos <laughs> to today's discussion. Yeah. Um, yes, indeed. Um, I wanted. To, I sent you a picture just now of the David Lowry, who was the writer and director of this film, who's done movies like Ain't Them Body Saints, mm-hmm. The Old Man and the Gun, A Ghost Story, and Pete's Dragon. He's actually currently doing the Peter Pan and Wendy live action remake for Disney, which 
I mean, this gentleman from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, my God, does he have an eye? That, and that's uh, the picture too. Is like he, it's very questionable because he, I don't know, he he looks like a very odd looking man. <laughs> yep. But yep. Um, my goodness, his his eye for cinematography, like. Do Stunned. you know if this was shot on IMAX cameras or not? I don't know. I don't. Because I got the IMAX vibe. Like, I got the Nolan IMAX vibe the entire time uh, well, I was watching it. I don't... I would be surprised if it was. I think he's just that good with the camera. Yeah, and, and the, the other... Here's the real, like, the biggest shock to me about this whole flick. Um, $15 million budget. That's... That was it. Shocking. But doesn't that excite you for movies? I mean, it absolutely does. We, we've reached the point where in a couple of years, people are going to be making just crazy sci-fi movies in their homes. And what's kind of neat is you can literally track David's entire career. His Vimeo account that he started when he was in high school is still active to today. And you can see all of his short films That's on his amazing. Vimeo account, which I'll is nuts. Cause like that. you can literally watch this guy's career progress so it's been kind of neat. So I watched a couple of his older shorts today, which are, um, you could see where some of the Pete's Dragon inspiration sure. kind of came the in there. The only other movie um, of his that I've seen. Oh, they, oh, I haven't even seen it, actually. It's but It's a great little kid's movie. I actually have Ain't Them Body Saints. It was given to me by a friend when I was in L.A., and I still have not seen it. But now that I know that it's him, um, that one's the one with uh, Rooney Mara, Casey Affleck, Casey Affleck. And then they're both in A Ghost Story, which sure. was a movie that he shot in, um, in between Pete's Dragon for about a million bucks. And uh, it's the most... I don't know. In the wrong eyes, it's hipster garbage. But my goodness, it will take your breath. Like the guys who I know who are the hardest on films, okay, Red Letter Media, it was their favorite movie that year that it came out. And they couldn't find the words to describe it because they loved it so much. So Yeah, they're um, tough on movies. I mean, (laughs) yes, they are. Best movies in the world, they're like, I thought it was all right. Mm hmm. So Um, a a little crazy, but uh, let's dive right in, man. So. I normally I wouldn't go into, you know, me and your philosophy and things, but Naturally. I think it's pertinent here that we're both Catholic and mm-hmm. David Lowry is an atheist mm-hmm. and he has directed what I consider to be the best Christian film um, in a long time. Certainly one of the most religious movies I've seen. Yeah. In quite a long time for sure. It, and, and it, it's credit to him to just envelop a world and let it play out with a authenticity that uh, you don't get very often. Uh, all right, so let's just kind of walk our way through this movie. I, I want to start because I, I the one part of the movie I don't understand is the first shot. There's the building on fire in the background. The guy, wa- girl walks in, gets on a horse. Guy pulls a sword off, and then you cut to Garwin, uh, Gwen, yeah. um, in the brothel. Any idea what that beginning shot means? I, I've never figured it out. I did. Oh my gosh. Like I literally, so I, I tracked down a lot of the behind the scenes stuff because I was so shocked with the, the low budget. I wanted to see all the VFX breakdowns. Yeah. I've watched and, them uh, too. Yeah. They actually like a number of people chimed in about that opening shot because when you're first watching the movie, you're not quite sure what's going on. And in, in the regards that you have this scene where, Oh wait, actually, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't the first thing, the crown coming down or the halo Yes, coming yes, down on guy, right. yeah. The so that comes down on his head, and then the he lights on fire, timeline. which actually immediately took me into hereditary mode, which it, kind of is my trigger, my fight or that. flight right away. Because <laughs> that vibe. Yep, because for spoilers, the dad gets burned alive in that movie, and it was a lot like that. So I was like, okay, cool. Uh, this is I where we're going. Into hereditary <laughs> without fair warning. 
No, I know for sure. Um, so after this, you get this little introduction about this, uh, the, a little bit about what's going to happen and what you're going to see. And then um, we get these kind of staggering jump shots between a little bit of a snowy sky mm-hmm. and there's a goose and a horse mm-hmm. and a couple other things. And you come back to the sky and it's like this production company, this production company, this production company. Uh, and what it took me actually twice to catch was something was going on in the background, <laughs> and that was a yeah. fire. One of the buildings was catching on fire. Right, a um, big fire. That's right, a really big fire. And by the time that that shot is done, the camera pulls back, and you're seeing through a window, and there's Sir, G- I'll say Gowan, because that's how I pronounce it. Uh, yeah. Gowan's asleep in a brothel, and he gets water sloshed on him. Um, that opening scene, I had heard, was uh, people, it reminded them of the Odyssey. Uh, when Paris puts Helen into the re- in, into the refugees heading for the tunnel to escape, it was mm-hmm. that whole thing. So um, there was a parallel there, I guess, but uh, that didn't really resonate so well with me. But I just figured, like, I don't know what it means, but I kind of love it. I but I like uh, the best I could think of is that doings ons are afoot and Garwin Gawain. Yeah, yeah, something's going on, and it's time and to get on the just, horse and go. And he's oblivious because. He's in his brothel having a nice time. A nice um, time. Nice time. As as brothels be. But um, you know what? That scene, that scene states the theme of the movie. Yeah. Which is, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Yes. And he's, he's having the time of his life. It's Christmas Day. Christ is born. And he's chasing after the girl that he's been with. And he's like lying on the ground. He's like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. He's not ready to leave that life of pleasure and... Um, almost be the man that he is called to be as somebody who's, you know, says to be a knight or wants to be a knight. Um, and that's the theme is pretty much, sure. is he going to be ready by the end of this film? And, and, and there's this notion throughout the movie that this sets up is that he wants honor, but he believes honor is something that is bestowed upon him. Not something that he lives. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not a, uh, uh, outspringing of virtue. Um, so yeah, he's in the brothel. His, uh, Lover wants to go to Christmas Mass. He does not. He ends up going just because she's going. And then we go to... Uh, so one, one of the changes made to the story is they make Morgan Le Fay his mother. Which um, is not a huge stretch because, I mean, it, he's King Arthur's nephew. Morgan Le Fay is King Arthur's, in most versions, his stepsister. So they just kind of fiddle with the genealogy a tiny bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Morgan Le Fay does appear later on in the story the original tale and in this tale, but they don't call hmm. your attention to it. Um, and so they just kind of tie us together that, that we've got Morgan Le Fay recognizes that her son is for lack of a better word, a bit of a dipshit, right? <laughs> <laughs> she loves him, but he's not starting life. He's cruising. He's got everything he wants and needs and that's it. Um, so she hangs back to do, you know, Morgan Le Fay, uh, stuff, you know, and he goes to the, the, the celebration, the Christmas celebration at King Arthur, uh, at, at, uh, the round table. I don't know of a movie that so made me feel part of a world. And I can't mm. think of any King Arthur, Arthurian tale that made me feel like part of the world. Pretty much every King Arthur movie I've seen has been like, imagine if King Arthur occurred today, and they talked in slang, and they, they cracked wise, and they swung swords, <laughs> and they... And it's just... 
didn't never does anything for me right there, there there's a mysticism to the king arthur lore that this movie captures that i've never seen captured in a film uh, and and the reason i think is because it really does simplify it and knock things back to the time period right we, we, we think of the king arthur tale i think in modern we've been corrupted by cartoons where basically we think of uh, like i don't know 1600s and we just apply kings there but we're talking a crazy period of time and it's cold and everybody's sick and it's dirty and but it's there's a warmth to the scene that i just really love and the way they they take you through the characters like there's there's you just you you know king arthur you know guinevere and and so he sits down with king arthur and he has the and king arthur's like tell me a, let me know who you are and he basically says, tell me a tale about yourself. And her response is, I have none to tell. It's like, I, I'm nobody. I have done nothing. I have done no living. Precisely. Um, so, th- okay. So then the Green Knight shows up, right? So they're they're having their meal. The Green Knight shows up. This big beast who's this, uh, the riff on the green man. The Irish kind of folklore plant tree person. Tree beard kind of character. Um, and challenges them. The, the The inciting incident is he challenges them to a game, and he says it's a game. And I and I love this. The, the basically, the he sets the stage. The stakes are low. Um, basically, fight me. If you land a blow, you can have my axe, this wonderful arcane whatever axe. But in a year, you have to meet me at my chapel on Christmas Day, and I get to return the blow. And. Arthur is eager to do so, but he's frail and nobody else steps up to do it. So Gwen steps up and, and there's this mo these moments in this movie where it, it doesn't beat you over the head with Arthurian lore, but mm-hmm. like when it cuts over to Merlin and, and it doesn't say, Hey, look, it's Merlin. It just, the light changes, the atmosphere changes. He gives a look to Arthur to let him know that something strange is here. I mean, it's just, it's so, subtle and powerful and the same thing happens when he jumps up to fight the knight arthur hands him his sword and they don't make a big deal of about it but you like you feel the weight i mean he is mm-hmm. handing excalibur to his nephew to play a game with a mythical being absolutely and i think what's interesting to me is just the title of the movie the green knight because to me what you just said the green knight was you know the wood guy who came in and i, I get all that right but what, so in the um, tradition, is Sir Gowan the Green Knight? Is that how usually how that goes? No, no, no the, just... green, the Green Knight is, is a Green Knight, right? Is the Green Knight. And there's but, often but the, this... but the phrase itself kind of doubles in a way. And what I mean by that is Sir sure. Gowan is in himself a Green Knight. He is green. Oh, that is he very is too true. new. Um, he literally holds none of the chivalry uh, virtues that the knights were expected to have. So he's green in and of himself. So when I thought about the movie The Green Knight, I thought I was referring to him. And then, of course, he's on the cover of the uh, the box art, and so I was like, "That's a, I guess I've that never works." That. Yeah, because it kind of works both ways. Yep. No, I there has always been uh, my my very. I'm not an Arthurian legend, and I will get parts of this wrong. But my brief per, uh, perusal of this is that there's always been kind of this implication that the Green Knight might be the Green Man, which is again another lore as a tree. You know, uh, spirit thing. That like like he's presented here, but it's never stated in the in most of the poems, as far as I can tell. But but I, I like that right because because Gawain wants in in this movie particularly, and which I, I think that's the major change of the story is that this Gawain is not 
the virtuous character he is in the original poem uh, or poems or variations he's mm. he wants to be a knight because he wants the prestige that comes with it the honor that comes with it but he doesn't recognize that to be a knight means to be a a person of a certain quality that it, the one leads to the other. It's, he's got the order wrong. He thinks being a knight makes you honorable, not being honorable makes you the knight. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and uh, I think you see that, and he's handed Excalibur, and uh, you feel the weight of him holding this legendary sword, and then he jumps up to play this game. The, the stakes have been esta- established that he wishes the, this, this being wishes to play a game, and he treats it far more seriously than he should. Right? He, he, he wants to be cool. He wants to be, he wants everybody, he says uh, that uh, all of you remember this moment and he beheads the knight. The knight does not fight back. He offers his neck and he beheads him. And you, they cut back. There's the moment too, before he even jumps over, where Arthur tells him, remember, it's just a game. And he cut. they cut to Arthur and the look of disappointment on his face where he beheads him and then the thing stands up, picks his head, and says, I'll see you in a year, and gets out of Dodge. It's such a... Strange? Strange sequence. <laughs> and and so much of it seems... Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's strange. Like, what's the but point he, of all that? Like, is that maybe the reaction? Because at first, it, to me, I was like, okay, like, he's letting himself die. I mean... And, Knowing nothing about the tale, which is evident in the books that I'm writing, uh, the the idea that the head gets cut off and it's like it's kind of over, but then he like grabs the head again. He's like, "I'll see you in a year." I was like, "So what was any of that then?" Because in my mind, I was like, "Is is there a curse being passed on to him for cutting his head off? Like, what does it all mean?" But then he said it was a game. So then, what is actually going on? So for me, I was just I was completely thrown off my and, and in the movie because you don't know the story before seeing this movie. mm Hmm. Right, didn't and I, did, I didn't either. I, I, I've read most. Of, I mean, I knew I knew bits of it. I knew little bits. Um, I knew the setup more than anything, right? And I knew I knew the original Gwen was far more noble and honorable than this character mm-hmm. from the start. Yeah, I think this movie tells it in a much more interesting way. Um, so I, so I took it as as th- there was a certain amount of taunting of this immature. Thing. And so the movie sets up very clearly that Morgan Le Fay has, through arcane magic, summoned this being to test her son. Um, and so there, there was that implication here that uh, a call to, to action, right? You're calling this character to do things worthy of tales to, so that he can, he can live life. But at the same time is this notion that he's completely misunderstood what that means in his mind it's epic things it's beheading mm-hmm. monsters it's it's getting the praise of the knights of the round table etc and that that's just not the point mm-hmm. um, he thinks he's achieved it right and then he you, you go back and he lives a year out and and i love how they show that year passing with the puppets and that clacking little there's a little wooden calendar clacking through time yeah we have got to stop for a second. The, the sound design in this movie, oh sure, is stunning, right? Mm-hmm. The creaking of the wood, the steps on the stone, the clacking of that. I mean, every time there's a sound, it feels like it reverberates through your bones. 
I I I wonder what this movie if they, I I kind of think the movie would not look as good if it didn't sound as good. If that makes any sense. Like the, the sound elevates what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, so so he wastes away a year because he thinks he's achieved his honor. And then as Christmas is approaching, King Arthur comes to him in his home and basically says, you made a pledge, you need to live it out, right? It's that's, mm-hmm. and very much the notion that he's making his nephew step up as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, right, so I mean, that's the that's the start of the movie and then, then it... It, it's really a very episodic tale from there and and i know some people didn't like it <laughs> because of I, that i think what's I, I will say one thing just right off the bat is like one thing i found very interesting was like the usage of like the title the titles on yeah. the screen i love that they changed the font like a dozen different times in the initial mm-hmm. title sequence um I really did enjoy this one all the way through. I even, I mean, the more that I look into it now, because there was a post that I read about the original uh, shield of Sir Gowan had a five point star on it, each representing sure. the five uh, chivalric virtues, generosity, chastity, and, and the courtesy, piety, and, and, and friendship. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Five things of which he fails at throughout the entirety of the film. Yes. Um, many times over, I suppose. But yeah, I'm even thinking of like that one shot of him leaving the castle and those kids falling out to him, him kind of riding all prideful and the, the kids are like his little fanboys and they got a sword. And as soon as like those sheep come into play and the kids are blocked off, like the dread on his face, like, Oh, what have I done? Right. I'm not ready again. Yeah. Not ready. <laughs> well, it's funny. I didn't think of it until you said that, but the many different fonts of the title, it's flashing, you know, 12, 13, 20 different fonts of, of Sir Gawain and the green Knight. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like it's the director's way of saying this story has been told for centuries and now here's my take on it right mm-hmm. it's been told it's been told and it's been told now it's my turn i'm gonna tell it mm-hmm. and and this is just another evolution in the, the this tale and I, and I love the idea that in in two three hundred years that this will just be another on the lineage of the canon of arthurian legends that is like well back in the david lowry adaptation we noticed that <laughs> gallon's kind of a wimp well, Just but, a bit of a way, but, but you know, like he, he he's he's added to the conversation of this ancient tale, and, oh, absolutely. and it's easy to think of us living in the culmination of history. But God willing, we aren't, and <laughs> that now he has made his stamp on this, and I love that. But so yeah, so so yeah, he's going on this adventure. He has no idea what he's doing. Um, he runs into a battlefield. Um, do, do you? I I get the impression. Did you get the impression of how? I mean, they made Britain seem so wild. Yes, and so vast, and I just kept wondering, like, where did they shoot this? Where is this much open space? Because I couldn't really tell, you know, right. obviously, good CGI, you can't tell when something's back, the background's manipulated, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, where is this? This is gorgeous. There's so much space. Um, so, yeah, it, it made Britain look monstrously huge, and then also the effects, like, what it really was like in that medieval time period as well, just the the mm-hmm. poverty and the struggle mm-hmm. and all those different things, like, it captured all those things so well um but but what it doesn't do and i'm glad is because a lot of times in movies like this i mean they kind of joke about it in monty python and the holy grail is that because there's poverty you must just be living awful lives and and it's just miserable lives but but that takes out of the context of the people living in the poverty are just living life Mm -hmm. and this movie captures that but absolutely and it also 
by making Britain so wild, it really feels like he's going to, he gets to that crossroads and he knows he's got to go north. And I love that he make north be up on the screen. He's, 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 yep. yep. <laughs> As we always say. And there's this notion that he's going to turn north. He's like an hour and a half outside of Camelot and he's already so far gone that he's completely alone in the world. Like he has no mm. idea what's up there. He's barely left the walls of this castle and he has nothing, no idea what's going to come. And, and there's the, I mean, it really fits in with that, that Arthurian legend that Arthur could send his knights out to go find the Holy Grail and they'll go to all the corners of Britain and find just the most bizarre stuff because <laughs> the world is not finished cooling yet. Well, even just like the, the fascinating part of the tale, again, to me, was all of these virtues that he's supposed to have as a knight and how he fails at them in different ways. Even that first thing that he comes across as he leaves the, the castle is a battlefield. Sure. Again, the, again, the theme yeah, constantly comes it, in my I mind. Of, about yeah. That. Yeah. So the theme constantly running through of I'm not ready. So mm-hmm. and that's, you know, you can take that as many different ways as you want to. But that's his per- personal theme for the film is I'm not ready. The first thing he comes across when he leaves Camelot is a battle scene, a battle that has already come to pass. Once again, he's not ready. And even if he was, he was too late to it anyway to even cause any sort of effect. So what is he left with? There's a straggler on the battlefield and he offers him uh, just, I think it's uh, like a river to go to or something. He yeah, offers him and then, to get to a chapel. Right. And the guy wants, uh, you know, some sort of payment. So he gives him a coin, but then that's literally the guy that robs him not 10 minutes later. So it's like, not only did you miss, the what am I trying to say here? Not only did you miss the glory and the pride of succeeding in battle and defeating enemies for the king and those things that you believe in, you are only a, around for the remnants, those who are scraping from the honor, scraping mm-hmm. from those who've already come to pass and taking what they can, who also have absolutely no sort sense of skin in the game. That's who you're you're meeting on the battlefield as it were, because there's nobody yeah. left to face with honor. And he has to be reminded, he has to, the, the guy has to ask him for generosity and, and in a way that is very unlikable, but it's, it, it never even occurs to him, this, this kid who has everything that he should be generous. Mm-hmm. I mean, he barely Absolutely. thanks him. He just kind of wanders away. Um, <laughs> Payment, sir. Right. Uh. Yeah. So, right. So then he's basically, he's waylaid by this kid and his friends and, and he's robbed and the kid Mm -hmm. takes the green knight's ax, which is the only token that he got from this whole thing, (laughs) kind of uh, being brave and he's left to die. Um, Pretty much. And in that sequence, he dies ish like that pan. (laughs) Go ahead. So I, I took this as I feel, so you've noticed him failing at the virtues. I kept noticing how many times that he's given a chance to give up. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like this is the first time where it's almost like he can give up here and just die. And that that would be fitting with his character. And it does say that, doesn't it? Huh? And I, that's, I, I, that's I guess how I read that sequence. Cause it shows him as a skeleton with this big panning track. And then it comes back around and he, he springs into action in, and cuts his his bonds and, and escapes. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, so that we go from that scene, we go immediately to uh, what is this the title card? Uh, Sir Gawain encounters Win- Saint Winifred. Saint so, so Winifred, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I I love those title cards because they're 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 kind of wry, like twinkle in their eye. There's a lot of humor in them. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
my understanding is there is a reference to a maiden's head in one of the poems, and so David Lowry took that and then took the the tale of Saint Winifred, which is another story, and just mashed them together. Because it, which is pretty much those who don't know the tale, they say exactly what the tale is in the story, and you don't have to look it up. <laughs> right, right, and and but it, it works so perfectly because it again gives him a chance to show his worth, and he does a pretty terrible job of it. Yes, he does. Um, Absolutely. He finds a cottage. He goes to sleep. No problem there. He's woken up by a maiden. The maiden is spooky. It seems pretty clear some some mystical, ghostly shenanigans are afoot. I mean, the, the filmmaking itself just screams, hey, look, it's a ghost. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and she, she calls him out to do a favor for her. And what's the first thing he says when he's asked to do a favor? What's in it for me? And there's like this slight undercurrent that he's propositioning her a bit too. Mm-hmm. And her response is great. So the tale is that, that she was propositioned by a figure and she turned him down. So the figure killed her and threw her head into the, the pond and she can't get to her head. So she can't move on to the afterlife. So she needs the, needs Gwen to get her head. And so she just tells him this story and then he says, okay, well, if I do this for you, what are you going to do for me? And, in the theater, there was a notable guffaw and a laugh when she goes, why would you ask me that? <laughs> it was probably the biggest laugh in the movie because the, the actress, I can't think of her name, from Solo and... Uh, yeah, she uh, was the Enfys Nest, the bounty hunter? Yeah, Enfys Nest. She was also thing? in Falcon and Winter Soldier. And... Uh, Aaron Kellyman, that's it. There you go. Just her delivery of the line is both indignant and it, it, it's, it's just, I, I think it's a funny line delivered very well. But, mm-hmm. but again, we've got Gwen failing to meet his code, right? He's not behaving with chivalry. Absolutely. He's, he's, he's found somebody in need, and his first thought is, what can I get out of this? Nonetheless, he does the thing. He gets her head. She moves on, I guess. This is the best way you can say it. He Gives him a little journey. clue, as it were. Yeah, and he finds his axe again, right? His axe is left there through some mystical shenanigans. <laughs> what, what was your thought of that scene? That I think that's the scene where, in my mind, a lot of people who thought it was too episodic, they, they got lost on that scene. Well, I think that was, that was you know, again, if you know the five points of the chivalrous, like, pledge of the night to make, like, that was him failing courtesy. Like, just mm-hmm. simply asking for something more and, you know, being... His, his attitude is almost like, you know, he was just robbed, he's got nothing left, but his attitude is like, I'm too good for this. Yeah. Almost. Right. So, but then like he eventually does do the thing and like, you know, kind of when he, he's dives deep into this lake to get her skull. When he comes up, he kind of slams it on a rock, which like breaks it worse. Sure. And that could just be like an actor. It could just be like a, you know, a little spoof or a little goof or whatever. But to me, I was just like, he cares this little (laughs) for Mm -hmm. this poor person that he came across. And I liked her response too, when he goes to touch her, which of course she just told him like why she's dead and beheaded and, and he goes to touch her anyway, and he's like, "Are you? Uh, what is, does he say, are you a ghost or are you real?" And she's like, "What difference? Oh, are you spirit make? or are you real?" Yeah, are you spirit or are you real? And she, what's yeah, the difference? Like, what's the difference exactly? So no, I thought that was it was just another example of just you know the hero failing along the way, kind of doing enough to just restart the journey a tad because it gets the axe back mm-hmm. and everything. But um, yeah, that's pretty much what I got. 
And also uh, another moment where I think David Lowry, the, the, that question between spirit and reality is a very poignant question that he just lets be true in the world as it needs to be. And I love it. Absolutely. He continues on his journey. And so this is where he kind of goes into the mountains. He meets his fox friend. His... Yes, he meets a fox friend, which is so fitting after Fantastic Mr. Fox. I was like, ooh, more yep. foxes. <laughs> yep, foxes everywhere. Um, Loved it. Speaking of which, not, not a bad the... looking CGI fox either. That was a pretty say. good fox, yeah. Did you do Sinertle yesterday? This two? Yes, I sure did. Fantastic, Mr. Fox. Quick man. pause, folks. If you're not playing Sinna 2 Nerdle, we're going to put a link in the show notes. This is like the best movie game that has come out like from Wordle. Like there's been Hurdle and Poster Dole and Movie Dole. But this one that we it's found the is, is the best. It's it the is best. such a good brain teaser. Oh my gosh, it's fun. It's great. It's great. Well, we've got to throw that in the show notes. Yeah. Resume. Uh, anyway, so yeah, he meets his fox. Yeah, I'm going to write that down. Oh no, I'm taking this pen apart absentmindedly as I do whenever I'm talking and excited. I get it. <laughs> but yeah, him and the fox are going along for a walk. And is that right when they come across the giants? It, well, no, first he goes on a drug trip. Um, the shrooms. He, he yes. Those just got legalized shrooms. here. Yes. Did it? Yes. I don't know if he's legal anywhere. Yes. Okay. Uh, Oregon. Yeah. For years. Yeah, there you go. All right. So he does some bad streams because he's hungry and he's got no food. I mean, he basically, I get it. He's, he's pretty pathetic, else, right? He even like shoes the fox away. And he's like, all right, why don't you come on in then? You know? Right. Yeah. Um, and he has a weird, yeah. Trippy vision of the green knight. And, but yeah. So the next thing he does is he, fi- he stumbles upon these giants and man, the way these giants are filmed is so spooky and awe-inspiring and terrifying but in a way that you just can't look away i mean when he's coming across that valley and there's mountains in front of him and all of a sudden a hand grips the mountains i was like my eyes shot open i'm like is this attack on titan is this what it feels like isn't it here we go attack on titan oh shadow the colossus was right when i went to right i was like okay we can have a shadow the colossus movie now because this looks amazing it looks amazing and again 15 million dollars to make this movie it's really just people but the compositing or whatever they're doing, it works so well. I'll, I'll put a VF break, uh, video effects uh, breakdown in the show notes where they actually showed like what they were doing with the Giants and everything, which was um, incredibly fascinating. There was a note on Reddit that I wanted to read that somebody had gone to uh, an initial premiere of this, and um, David Lowry was supposed to Skype in, but for some reason the Skyping wasn't working. And uh, one of the questions came up about the Giants, and the producers just kind of looked at each other, and they're like, w- we don't know what, the, w- what was all about with the Giants. <laughs> it's like he couldn't figure it out, but... Um, somebody said something really brilliant that I want to quote, which is when somebody asked, uh, can someone explain what's up with the giant scene? Someone said he can't stand on the shoulders of giants and call himself tall, oh, which is what he's trying to do. Most of the movie. That's fascinating. I Isn't love that, that great? That's great. Oh, it's brilliant. Bloody brilliant. But there, there's also, and we'll get to this too. There's this thread going through the movie where it's, it's Britain is being tamed. And you get this, the, 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 the fox howls and the, the giants sing this song that is so mournful. And you get oh, this feeling so like good. the giants are leaving Britain. It is not a place for them anymore. I guess it's even, it, even the, so I could take, I would take that analogy one step further and say all of the lore and legend of England is leaving. Yes. I agree. With Arthur passing, with the knights mm-hmm. passing, it's all going away. Right. Yeah. I think that's, that's perfect. Yeah. I, I love that scene. It's so weird. It's so great. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you're not into weird movies, you probably shouldn't watch this one. 
Oh, here's the quote. The producers were asked about the Giants, and honestly, they didn't have an explanation. They did say it was really fun to shoot and very awkward because they kept having a bunch of naked women walking slowly around a room while directing them which way to look and which way to walk. And then, <laughs> of course, mentioned that the strange. Giants were naked because there was no possible way that people in Arthurian times could manufacture clothing for people of that size. Yeah, that would have been pretty absurd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless there were giant trees. Uh, no trees no, no trees on flat earth. Um, oh no! Wait, that, is that is that right? That yeah, it's actually, so there's part of flat Earth theory, or one of the many branches, is that what we call trees today are just big shrubs, and that true trees go into the sky. Like uh, Devil's Tower <laughs> is is the stump of a tree that was cut down. I have I have seen that meme of like giant uh, plateaus are actually just like trees that were cut down. Yep, yep. But my That's, favorite one recently was the. That is um, a thing. I don't mean to go on topic with this flat earth thing stuff, folks, but there was a TikTok where somebody's just like, so if Earth is flat, does that mean all the other planets are flat? And the guy goes, no. No answer. I got flat earth. Amazing. For the longest time, I wanted to go to a flat earth convention because I thought it would just be fun. I mean, we still can. I don't know if it would be as fun anymore because it all got really political and that doesn't sound fun to me. Yeah, you're probably right. Sounds fun to, to just watch people talk about the earth being flat. Doesn't sound fun to watch them get mad about it. whatever politics they're mad about. I just don't want to be part of it. There you go. Fair enough. Anyways, all right. So the no clothes for the giants. Um. So right. So he comes down from the mountains, and then that then then he finds the manor, right? Yes, that is the next big thing. So the manor is clearly from a different generation, right? Like the the architecture and all the stuff in there, it's like not, it felt a couple centuries later. It it's there's a like a weird time travel feel to it, and I and I watched one of the special oh. pictures where they talk about it that they wanted it to be almost unsettling, like he was communing with something above him. Like it would almost be like if we went on an odyssey and we found a house that was floating in the sky with anti gravity, and then talked to the Lord Manor, but we just assumed everything was fine with this. <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah, so it's clear that he's there's something otherworldly occurring here, and in my understanding, this is the meat of the actual tale: is him coming across this manor. Like, there's the implication that he went on a bunch of adventures, but the meat of the story is him in this manner where he strikes a deal with the there's a lord and a lady, and he strikes a deal with the lord that whatever the house gives him, he will give to the lord. Um, and whatever, and then, and then, so in the original story, the lady tries to seduce him, and he rebuffs her, and he she gives him a kiss, and he kisses the Lord. And then the next day, she does it again. I think she kisses him twice, and he kisses the Lord twice. And then on the third day, she does it again, and but there's a twist on it that she's got a sash for him that will protect him from all harm, but he's not allowed to give it to the Lord. He has to keep it a secret. Um, uh-huh. And, and in the story, he does. He gives the Lord the three kisses he got that day, and he goes about his way and keeps the sash for himself. So he breaks his promise. And that's the crux of the moral dichotomy of the original story. So in this movie, it plays out very similar, but also very different. Um, the, uh, she, the lady gives him a book. But this is before he makes the, 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 the deal with the, the, the Lord of the House, so he doesn't give him the book. But then she also takes a photograph of him. Like, she manages to do some weird... Yep, some really weird flash photography, yeah. <laughs> as it were. It's, like, kind of 
magical, but kind of just a chron wrong chronology of history. It's it's all weird and it's great, but I feel mm -hmm. like the crux of the scene of the sequence is when she they're sitting in the 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 parlor after dinner. Oh, and there's the creepy old lady, which in the original tale is more. Yeah, right. In in the that original okay. In the original, so that's his mother is the implication, if you know the original story. But that's ah. her kind of edging things along. Um, so anyway, so I think the crux of the scene is the conversation at the dinner table where um, the lord of the house is basically questioning him and he has no good answers, right? It's it's almost like the same conversation he had with with Arthur where he doesn't have... He, he, he can't justify anything he's doing. He's asked, what are you doing? I'm, I'm going to kill the knight. Or I'm going to, 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 to let the knight give me my blow. Um, and he says, why? He says, for honor. He goes, so you just go and you do this thing and then you have honor? He says, yes. And so then you're a changed man? He goes, yes, because you have honor. He goes, yeah, I did the thing. I checked the <laughs> honor box and now I have honor. Mm -hmm. And he's, he makes the sarcastic comment that I love that was like, well, it's a shame we won't be here. I would love to see the new you. And then Wonderful. The, there's this, uh, the, the lady of the house then talks about green. And I think this, again, plays into that theme of the old passing. The, 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 the pagan Britain, the, the mystical Britain is now passing away. She talks about green being this thing of the, the, the grass and the trees, but also the pestilence and the, the, uh, the rot. And that men everywhere are trying to snuff all of it out, right? The rot mm -hmm. and the growth and... I, what did you make of that? It, it's a very strange scene. I still don't know quite wrap my head around everything she said. The scene at the, the dinner table when she's asking why yeah. the green knight is green. Right. Yeah. I think there's a lot there. I think I was so struck by the photograph moment that I was kind of like reeling from that. And plus the fact that it's uncle Owen and Laura Croft, I was a bit thrown off there. Yep. <laughs> I was singing the YouTube song, Tashi station. I had to explain to Lauren. That's uncle Owen. Uncle <laughs> Owen. <laughs> Um, I, I would say for the entire manor house sequence, the thing that really got to me was the generosity of the Lord, who I believe is just listed as Lord in the credits, if I'm not mistaken. Sure. Um, just that generosity and the openness to help somebody out. And then the advantage that, you know, Sir Gowan kind of takes upon him to go after, you know, his wife, as it were, um, mm. and her telling him that he is no knight. Because in the script, he says it first. Well, oh, she's he like, says, I'm no knight. Yeah. So in the script, there's a sequence where she's like, you know, um, you have now twice sat next to me, even though the Lord of my house is not here. And uh, your chivalric duties of a knight. And he goes, I am no knight. Mm. And he does. I don't believe he says that in the movie, but it's. Well, he says more... it earlier. He says it to, to the guy who, kid, who st robs him. Right. But he didn't say it to her specifically, no. but it was. It, I wish he had because it was it would have been such a nice payoff when she says it right back to him in that, that, that in that moment. Nice. But so that's but yeah, the awkward I, scene of the movie, right? Yeah, that is the awkward scene where you know why didn't you come to my chambers? I wanted to. It wasn't right, and it's just like it's interesting that you pointed out that the thing that you saw more was all the opportunities of him to like abandon his journey, and here's like here's an opportunity for him to avoid temptation, as it were, mm -hmm. and. The fight he puts up is pathetic, to say the least. It's pathetic. <laughs> Utterly and completely pathetic. You know, you flee from those things. You jump into the thorn bushes, as we were taught to do. Um, 
and he just he just succumbs to his manly desires, and it's really. But but it's more than shameful. that too. It's both his manly desires and his cowardice at the same moment. Mm, right. Interesting. He's, he's succumbing both to his lust, and by succumbing to his lust, he is gaining the token that will allow him to avoid his fate, his death. Right. The thing that will protect him from harm. The green the sash. sash. Right. I thought his mother gave him that in the beginning. But he lost it, and she but gives he, well, it back okay, to yes. him. He loses it, and then she is basically, she says she made it. She's giving it back to him. Um, hmm. or, but at the cost of the loss of his chivalry, right? At the cost of him succumbing. Um, there, there, it's a weird. It's, there's this notion that's like, there's a twofold i want you to succumb to your lusts in order to get this token of protection so i i i, I think it's more complicated than just he's a horned dog well um, i think the thing that really threw me too was that the lady is also his girlfriend from right the same actress same yep. actress and there's something to that because there are little se- we haven't mentioned this yet, but there's a little sequences throughout where he has this little bell. Oh, we got to talk about that him. bell scene because I can't believe I skipped over that. Yeah, and so he has that that bit of just that little bell that he rings, and he is reminded of her. Right. And then you see this woman who is like literally the spitting image of because it is the same actress, and again, like doesn't even hold any sort of promise or vow to her that he would have promised to Essel back in the beginning of the film of wanting mm-hmm. to be with her and what she said of like you know you'll be the king and I'll be your queen and. That really nice one where she moves his mouth. He's like, yes, that sounds great to me. <laughs> that that scene to me is one of the most tender scenes I've seen in any movie. She's being so vulnerable as she she wants. And he's just giving her nothing. He's giving her nothing. She loves him and wants to be his lady. And he. He's not ready, right? Nope. That's the theme of it. Well, <laughs> and, and, and uh, we could even play around with that with this moment in the movie where clearly he wasn't ready. <laughs> he was not ready. <laughs> Oh, that shot too. Oh. Yeah, it's a rough. It's 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 funny how unnerving that is. It's, mm-hmm. but it is. Yep. So it this is. is the scene where if you're squeamish about sexual content, just skip over it. I think yeah. you can guess what happens. Yeah, there's not too much here, but the the thought too of just like yeah, what all that represents and him not being ready and then him kind of allowing himself to be. Uh, I don't get know. a handy taken taken i was gonna say well, yeah taken over as it were yeah um well i guess i'll just give in here <laughs> um, it's very uncomfortable it is not a sexy scene it is deeply uncomfortable yeah uh, on purpose and um, then what is it you know when she leaves him and tells him that you're no knight of course morgan lefay is right there watching which is even more well she has a bandage over her right, eyes so is she true. really watching well um, yeah but but <laughs> she's wearing the same kind of bandage that morgan lefay is wearing at the beginning when she summons the green knight does that mean his mother was watching him the whole time maybe it's weird don't worry about it oh i don't want to go this deep but anyway yeah, then he runs but then he, he, runs, he runs away, away and um i'll just say there was this quick i think i mentioned this earlier there was a quick moment where uh, the Lord's like, where are you going? He's like, I, I, I gotta get going. You know, this isn't a great time for me. And he's like, we caught this in a trap this morning. And he's just holding up a bag of something unmoving. I'm like, oh no, the fox is dead. I can't handle this right now. And of course the fox is totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then off they go on the journey. Well, first, um, first, did you ever notice that beast behind him? Uh, when the Lord's giving him the fox? The dead, uh, uh, I mean, 
boar hog. I mean, it looks it looks oh. the spinning image of the uh, the boars from Princess Mononoke. It's a giant. It is not a normal boar. It's a oh, giant, my. terrifying thing that is dead behind him. Wow. No, I did not notice that because I was so focused on like his shame, right? And that fleeing. But now I'm totally gonna look at this giant boar. <laughs> it, it adds a really weird quality to the scene when you pay attention to it because it's clearly not a real creature. Um, right. So and the, and that's the one scene in the moment where he gives the Lord the kiss, which we're all glad he just gave the kiss. Um, and then he runs off to meet his fate. Right. Mm-hmm. And at the creek, the fox turns around and speaks to him and basically gives him his chance go back you have no idea what you're facing if you did you would go home with shame and the secret of your shame and hold your head high because you cannot possibly succumb to the terror that is beyond the 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 mythic beings that await you Mm -hmm. um and he shoes it off shoes the fox away so what a good friend yep 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 but 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 again, it's like the the fox is the temptation there, right? He's uh, he wants him to f- to quit his quest because he's not ready, right? The fox is telling him he's not ready. You can't. You're not good enough for this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then so he gets to the the chapel, the green chapel, and the green knight is waiting for him. I mean, like a hibernation because it's Christmas Eve and he's not ready. He's got to wait till Christmas Day. Um, and overnight he opens his eyes and there's that weird moment where you see both Morgan Le Fay's face glide over him and you see, uh, the Lord of the Manor's face. Um, and in the original story, it's revealed that the Green Knight is the Lord from the Manor. Um, I feel like this movie's playing with that, but also implying that it's something more than just, it's, it's not a guy in a costume in this story. It's, it's something, it's something spooky. Something mythical. Yeah. Right. Um, and then the morning comes and the green knight stands up with all that wonderful creaky sound design. It's so good. <laughs> Is it uh, Christmas? I, the, the scene where he first steps into the green chapel and he's silhouetted by the light outside is to me one of my favorite shots I've seen in a movie ever. Um, the whole thing is just stunning. Yeah. So is it Christmas, right? We've gone, we've gone from Christmas to Christmas and the knight asks him, are you ready? Right. Do you recall where you nicked me? Right. Right. Yeah, I do. (laughs) And have you come to see your blow returned? I have the Neil brave knight and let us complete our game. Now I, so he kneels to let him give him his blow. Now, do you know how the original story ends? I'm guessing the original story ends with his head getting cut off and that's the end. No. So the, oh, ori- good. so the original story, the way the original story goes, Gwen kneels down and the knight goes to swing his axe, just like in the movie, and Gwen flinches. And the knight makes fun of him for it because he's not brave as he should be for a knight. Um, <laughs> and then he swings it again. And maybe, I don't know if it's three times in the story, but it culminates with him swinging it and Gwen keeps the sash on that protects him. Uh-huh. And the sash protects him and he receives a nick on the neck for wearing the sash and the knight reveals himself to be the lord of the manor and basically says i know you didn't follow our agreement you broke your promise you did not give me what you got from the you were to give me your sash the sash was you owe it to me because we made a deal 
I've extended my generosity and you broke your promise. Um, and so Gwen goes back in shame because he failed the test. The story ends with him failing the test. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, he gets back to, to the round table and he wears the sash as a mark of shame. And, but all the knights say, oh, you were brave to go anyways. And they forgive him. And then it ends. <laughs> so the, the real sash were the friends we made along the way. Is that what you're that, trying to say? That's right. That's right. <laughs> but the, the original tale of the Green Knight in a lot of ways is about Gwen failing at his task. That's the conclusion of the story. In this story, it plays out the exact same way. The knight swings his axe and he flinches. He swings it again and he flinches again. And then right at the third time, Gwen says, I can't. I'm sorry. I can't. Well, so the first time he flinches and the Green Knight is, is awestruck. He goes, sir, you flinch. He's like, I know. And he's like, well, did I show that same fear when we were in that position? He's like, no, I'm not as confident as you. He's like, but you had a year. He's like, I, I, it wouldn't even be a hundred years. hundred years, right. hundred years, Rick and Morty wouldn't even be enough. Um, and then the Green Knight asks him again, are you ready? And, and then I, one of my favorite lines in this whole movie goes, then I shall get to hacking. <sighs> which could right. only give him more fear and terror in that moment. Mm-hmm. And he stops him. Is this really all there is? And the knight's like, yes. Well, what else ought there be? And with no good answer, he kneels down again. That's when he's, no, no, I can't do it. Forget it. And then he just leaves. That's so brilliant. Yes. Yes. I forgot about that line. Is this all there is? What else ought there be? And then he runs away because he's at the end of everything and he cannot give up his life. He loves it too much. Yeah. And he runs home, and I tell you, I don't know if I've ever been so devastated in a movie theater as I was in this ending. As he (laughs) runs home in utter shame. And he makes love to his his mistress, and he becomes king. Have to point it out, doesn't even face her, because he can't face anybody. Yeah, true. Yeah. Have to say it, yep. Yep. That's the symbolism. He's so ashamed... And he becomes king, and he cannot marry his love because he, he's never he actually shown her, her love. He abandons her. Takes yep. his baby and abandons her. and, and he's, Marries this noble woman instead. Marries a noble woman and is a terrible king, and his kingdom falls apart in war, and his son dies in war. And this is and you could tell his heart's not in it anyway. You're right. You, right. It's one of those wish fulfillment things. Like He it's, gets what he wanted, but you can tell the whole time he's miserable and he's not... You know, well, it, he, go they put the crown on his head and it's like you're getting the honor. The, the honor has been given to you, right? It's not I do the thing. I, I behave the way that is honorable to be the knight. I behave honorably to be the king. It's like I've become king. So now I'm honorable, right? You all have to honor. Me. <laughs> uh, and so, right. So his kingdom collapses into warfare. His son dies in battle. And there's that moment when he comes back after losing the battle and, and Essen is sitting there, his lover is sitting there and she knows my son, whom I never got to see and hold is dead. Um, and the shame is just shame built upon shame. I've never, I like, I mean, I'm feeling shame as I'm watching this in theater. I mean, it, yeah. it is such a weight. The movie just mm-hmm. pounds on you and pounds. I mean, this is kind of a montage, but it's a long one. It's like, you're feeling, you're watching a man's soul die. Um, and then, the, the his, his castle gets under siege. Castle's under siege, and you could just see him in that that throne, mm-hmm. and, you know, having gotten everything that he wanted, but not getting that fulfillment or the virtue that came with it. Mm-hmm. Just sitting there, miserable, with his head down, kind of looks at his wife, and she just takes the kid, and then the next thing his you know, family leaves him. Mm-hmm. 
pop, off goes his head. And he, well, he pulls his sash off, right? He's like, I've got no reason to live. The thing that protects me, he pulls it off and his head falls down. Yep. And I was sure, I was sure the credits were going to roll. And I loved this movie, every part of my being. And I wouldn't say I was mad at the movie because it elicited an emotion that I don't think a movie has ever elicited from me that strong. Mm-hmm. The despair of that sequence to me hit me harder than I, I've never felt despair at a movie. Like I felt it in that scene. It, it's soul crushing, right? I mean, they make you feel a man's soul die in about 10 minutes. Yeah, they do. <laughs> this is the anti-op is what you're trying to say. Except, <laughs> except they cut back. And you That's realize right. it's been the last temptation of Christ kind of scene where he's on his, he's about to die. He's and still he's, on his knees. Yeah. He's had this vision of what it would be to be the coward. And so he's been a coward this entire movie. He's been, he's lacked chivalry. He's lacked virtue. And the knight comes to take his swing. And he says, wait, but it's not out of fear this time, right? It's like, there's a confidence in his voice he says, wait. And he tears his sash off and he throws it to the ground and he says, I'm ready now. And the knight bends down to him and says, well done, my brave knight. And he traces his finger over his neck and says, now, off with your head. In the kindest, most friendly way. In the most merciful way is the the way I looked at it. Yep. And a bell rings and the title comes up and the credits roll. Yep. And I I mean, it makes me teary eyed recounting it. I, I think it's one of the most beautiful endings I've ever seen. Yeah, I I love the idea so much of just, you could, however you want to interpret the dream sequence as it were, I like to think of it as like he lived the life. It wasn't just a montage. Like he literally had to live that dread and realize Mm -hmm. that he has failed and fallen every possible virtuous way Mm -hmm. and that that would never have given him the honor, the thrill of being a king that he wanted. He got it. And then he got it. And then... There was like a, there was a, a thing that I saw years and years ago where somebody was talking about, sometimes I just close my eyes and I imagine myself as an 80-year-old on my deathbed and my friends and family are surrounding me and I was just saying, if only I could have more time to do the things that I really wanted to do and then I die. And I open my eyes and I realize, oh, shoot, I do have time to do those things that I want to do. And I just change a little bit. Yeah. And that's what I think about with this movie is like, we don't often get to, well, maybe I suppose some people do for sure. We don't often get to live through the trials of our mistakes and our errors and our sure. sins and where we fail. Um, but we have films like these that really illustrate so incredibly well what it is to live a life of just shame and nothing and no value whatsoever. And, you know, you think of that castle being under siege and him just like, I don't give a crap anymore. Like all that right. stuff that has been built up is just effectively being let down and he destroyed. Kept his life for no end. Exactly, uh, and then to have that moment of, oh no, I am still here. I am going to make something of myself in the night, and that's that's the trick to get into the ending. For me, like he doesn't die. He doesn't get his head cut off at the end. Like he now understands honor and virtue and can pridefully hold his head up to the king and say, "I am a knight now," and then choose to live a different life. You know, this isn't one of those, in my mind, it's not one of those obscure, like, and then he cuts his head off after the credits. Uh, well, but there is, so yeah. we do, they did film his head getting cut off. I didn't know that. They did film his head getting cut off and they cut it because Lowry wanted the ambiguity. 
Um, but the whole point of the movie, he said, and I, I tried to find the quote, but I can't find it right here, is he wanted a movie where Gwen choosing to be beheaded would have been the happy ending. Mm-hmm. That's what he wanted. He wanted he wanted to set you up to the point where you recognize him choosing to die was not not a not a tragic ending, not a sad ending, not a optimistically, but like he's not a hero. It was a happy, joyful ending. That's what that was the point, right? You want to build to that moment where him choosing to do the right thing and die was a joyful moment. And and I love it. The bell rings on Christmas, right? But mm-hmm. I, I think the movie is so much more powerful that they do not show him getting his head cut off. I asked my wife what happened at the end of the movie, and she said, well, his head gets cut off. And it's funny, because I didn't read it that way. I read it as... Yeah, not at all. Because I love what the what the, uh, the the knight says. Now, off with your head can mean both I'm going to behead you, and also now off with you, right? Take your head and be off. And I love yeah. that. Right now, now, off with your head, right? Mm-hmm. Be off with your head. I love that ambiguity. And and at the end of the day, that I guess is the point is it doesn't matter because he made the right choice. And there, I did find this quote, right? Um, so this is kind of the same thing. Lowry stated, quote, he wanted the beheading to be viewed as a positive thing. He faces his fate bravely and there's honor and integrity in that. But that doesn't mean that he's dead. He's killed. He received the blow that was dealt and all is set right in the universe of the film. And I like that implication that, he, that, again, I love that Lowry as an atheist wrote just the best Christian movie ever, right? That keeping your life for no point when you could, could give your life for others is the point, right? And and mm-hmm. he's learned that he needs to do this. And did you stay past the credits? I know that there's the end credit scene with the little girl playfully putting the, the crown on her head, which to me like that you know, however the director felt, which I think he wanted, you know, there's the cut, like you said, with the head getting cut off. But like, to me, like, that's the sign that he did go off his merry way. And he has a, and, and, and the beauty of his daughter finding the crown to me implies if it is his daughter, which I think, I think is a reasonable interpretation that he's King, but he's not coveting the crown, right? The crown is left on the floor for his daughter to play with. That's not the point. He is, he's earned the honor. The crown doesn't give him the honor. He has, he has behaved with virtue. He has behaved mm-hmm. with chivalry and nobility. And he is now an honorable man. Absolutely. And it's beautiful. And Christ is born and the bell rings in the credits roll. And he is ready by the end. And he's he ready. He is ready. He literally says, now I'm ready. It's so great. I love this movie. It's so good. It's, it's, it's such a, great, a good It's a great movie. movie. It really is. It is a much more Christmassy movie than Die Hard. <laughs> So for you, Brendan, the number one through 806, please. One through 806. Let's go. Let's go early on. Let's go 42. 42. That's going to be cast, I think. think Soldier number two, uncredited. Aaron Edo. Let's see here. Probably not battle sequence. I think you're right. Aaron, let's see. You have done a couple of things. You've done a total of four things, and this is the most recent thing that you did. You played a young Frederick Douglass in a Frederick Douglass in the White Negro movie. Um, you were in a couple of other things, a show called Taken Down. Uh, you were in a short film called Superhuman, and you were soldier number two, uncredited. And that okay. is all the credits we have for you, good sir. Well, I don't but know thank you, you, Aaron, are, but for being in this you. movie. Thanks for being in the yeah. movie. Well done, good sir. Well done. So um, I just pulled up the IMDb to try to find him, but I, I there's a picture 
of Dave Patel wearing the crown. Someday I'm going to make this crown prop. I that's the uh, best crown I've ever seen in a movie. I, I will say this too, Dev Patel, whom I have loved since Slumdog Millionaire. By the way, what a strange, beautiful casting. What choice. is? Yes, absolutely, absolutely, and and he is just. He's got the chops, man. Like, yeah. Again, I I I remember when Slumdog came out. I went to a a talk like. I think it was like a couple of months afterwards. And they're like, you know, the, the Oscars this year, like, is anybody really going to watch Slumdog Millionaire again? I was like, yeah, I freaking adore that movie. I have a, a copy movie. of the screenplay I behind me. I have never, I had, I still, uh, I'm trying to think now. The high that I got from Slumdog Millionaire, I have been chasing since 2008. Oh, I love it. There's certain, there's a certain thing in that movie with a cell phone being answered. And I, I, I can't. Oh my gosh! I, don't think I think I've seen it since theaters. I need to watch that movie. But that was, and that, yeah, it's, it still holds up. Very, in my opinion, it still holds up very well. Um, and he plays Jamal in that movie. But there's that sequence: the semi truck flipping in the dark night. Uh, Spider Man: No Way Home. Yeah, I've been chasing. I've been chasing that high for years, man. I wish I could get it from a, uh, ASMR or whatever, but no. Oh, I, get I know. It from I know like, the high you're talking about. I mean, oh I, I got gosh. it from from Blade Runner twenty forty nine, Mad Max. I think uh, you know, Mission Impossible Fallout gave me that kind of that that moment when he runs into uh, uh, his ex. I got that feel. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yep. The OF moment. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. And I'm just been chasing that high ever. I think, yeah, ever since Slumdog Millionaire, I've been chasing that high. Yes. <laughs> so um, he's been, I mean, I heard Lion was extremely good. I haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen that either. My parents really love the Exotic Marigold Hotel movies. Um, Which I hear are good. I haven't seen them either, though. That's exactly what I heard. I heard his um, his take on uh, uh, Dickens, David Copperfield is very good. I've really? heard that as well. And I haven't seen that yet. Um, he was in Chappie as well. Oh, we don't. Oh, want I forgot to talk about Chappie. Oh, did I see Chappie? You did see Chappie. I saw Chappie. Right? I don't know. Was that Jay Ryan who was telling I can, me? I gotta be honest. The, who's the director? Um, Blumkop, baby. Blum, his Blumkop, yeah. His movies all blend together. Like District Nine was so exciting, and then everything else is just like mud brown sci-fi dribble. I don't mean to go down this particular pathway, but like that man has had the most insane career of like blowing everybody completely out of the water with fricking, um, what was the movie we just said? Like district nine for idea district nine. And then like Elysium and then choppy. And then like a couple of shorts, but just like the man had halo and I've read his, the pass of halo that went to him and it is was it amazing. Oh, That's so, the script that. is so very... That the show feature, was so unwatchable. The feature they were supposed to shoot for Halo was amazing, and the script was so damn good. If you guys don't know, I'm but a big he, Halo nerd. <laughs> I've read a lot of the novels. I'm that guy. Absolutely. And I, I just started the Master Chief Collection. Um, but he is doing... Um, he has recently said, okay, fine, I'll do District 10. Which did he with that? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Sounds like he's but really you know, excited. But you know about what he it. asked? He'd actually, I'm, I'm glad we brought him up because he does have a movie coming out next year that has me extremely curious. And that's Gran Turismo based off the video games. Uh, interesting. I, uh, I read an interview of Josh Trank speaking of guys who blew everybody out of the water and then just kind of fizzled. Uh, it's on Polygon. It's a good read. Who again? Josh Trank, the director of. Uh, oh, Fan, Fan of Stick. Yeah. Chronicle and yeah, Fan Stick. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> How do we go down this route? Um, 
And oh no no no, let's do a little uh, one through three action for you. One through three. Okay, one so through three. Just to clarify again, you want me to pick a movie? I give you three movies I disliked. See. Right. You want me to pick one? Because of the I, green night, we're going with a green theme. Yes. And then I have to say something nice about it. Something very nice. Okay, so here's the deal. I'm not gonna tell you one through three. I'm just gonna tell you the the nice thing about it. Uh, and then you then then we'll pick a number. Because they're all the same movie. Uh, it's like an it. extremely trite message that I think is completely lost on everybody and does a bad job of getting across what it's trying to say, but at least it's beautiful. <laughs> now go ahead and, and tell them my three movies. Avatar, Ferngully, and Pocahontas. <laughs> Which yeah. is a reference to an SNL skit that none of you have seen. Don't worry about it. Pocahontas, Avatar, and Ferngully. I, I should say it differently. I should even go so far as to say the animation was beautiful because they're all three animated movies. Yeah, that's very yeah. true. Hmm. <laughs> but very trite. Yes. Um, well, good. I'm but we but I am seeing Avatar on Thursday so we can talk about it. I'm yeah, we're trying. <laughs> we were going to go tonight, uh, and then we saw the runtime. And uh, honestly, I'm going to a matinee because that's the only way I can make myself get three hours and 25 minutes. And, but that's the thing is, like, I have a there's so down here in the Springs, uh, which is kind of caught up with the technology of the world, I can see it regular, I can see it 3D, I can see a 3D D box, I can see a D box, I can see it IMAX, I can see it IMAX 3D. The real question is. How do I want to enjoy the Oppenheimer trailer? <laughs> now, I will state, I have read reviews saying the HDR. Have you heard, seen how he solved the HDR problem? No. And by HDR problem, you mean... Not, not HDR. Uh, high frame rate. HFR. High frame rate. He did, did he not shoot this at 24? No, he did what... Uh, what 48? Jackson did with The Hobbit. Oh, no! Right, so here's the thing. So here's what he did, right? Because he knows that the seeing people, real people, at twenty at forty eight frames per second looks fake, looks like a soap opera. Uh-huh. So whenever there's a real person on the screen, he switches back to twenty four. That could happen multiple times within a couple minutes. That he'll switch from forty eight to twenty four, and in his mind, he solved the issue. But what everybody else says it looks like is it looks like when you're playing a video game and you experience lag, and then it rushes really fast to catch up. And then it gets back to the oh, I've noticed that with uh, if you watch any show on like TBS, I don't even know if TNT is still a thing, but like Scrubs was on the other day, mm-hmm. and like what during a narration scene, like you could tell they just sped up the video, right. and it pisses me off. That's what it looks like here. So, so my thought <sighs> is cool. big screen, three D, but only if that means I can do it without high frame rate. Okay, That's we'll go for thought. that then. And if not, I'll go a smaller screen in 3D without the high frame rate is my thought. I was thinking just to really piss James Cameron off specifically. I just watch it on my phone. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I would say go for it, and I love it, except for the fact that, again, it's three three Uh, hours before the credits start. Yeah. Even my little brother who recently saw uh, the Batman was like, I loved it. I think Andrew was this you. Uh, Somebody told me – I think you said this for something, brother. You said – I loved it. Why won't they bring the intermission back? I think because some of us have to pee. Yep. Okay, but hey, I forgot to do your your uh, bad movie. You say something nice about from uh-huh. last week. So so you pick one through three. Two. Two. Say something nice about Ever After. Oh my gosh! Say something nice. 
That's a good looking prince, man. Like that's a fine looking dude. Like that hair quaffed. Oh my gosh. I was like, I get it. Drew Barrymore, I don't get it as a choice, but like, I get it. Um, the, I'll, I'll, let me, let me say, let me say this thing first, which is I was in the other room working on uh, dinner and I hear what I believe to be an orgasmic sex scene. I, this is what I'm hearing in the other room. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, maybe she's watching Game of Thrones. And this this howling goes on for some time. And I stomp over, because now I'm annoyed. And I'm like, what are you watching? Spanish Princess and Ever After, when she's howling and I've crying and it. screaming. And now, I have no idea what it is. In the movie, the prince marries, doesn't marry Cinderella. He's going to marry this Spanish princess. And she is wailing and crying and screaming. And it is this loud, obnoxious, like, what the hell's going on thing? And then when you walk in, you're like, oh, okay, she's weeping. Okay, never mind. <laughs> but it is so jarring if you are not in the room. Um, Good-looking main lead, for sure. Okay. The dude's awesome. And uh, there's a scene where the stepmother and the stepsister get their comeuppance, and they fall into purple dye, and it's it's actually kind of funny. All right. That, that was really nice. I tried nice. to be nice. What are you uh what are you consuming these days, man? Uh yeah, sunflower consuming. seeds, pumpkin seeds, I gingerbread was, uh, cookies. Oh, uh yeah, all those. No pumpkin seeds. Uh I did go see Violent Night the other day. Um it was a movie. I, I enjoyed it. It was my, a movie. Uh, okay. I enjoyed it and I haven't thought about it since I left the theaters. Uh, the, I have heard really wonderful things about it. <laughs> it was I wouldn't say wonderful things about it, but I, I didn't regret my time at the theater. I wouldn't, let me put it this way. Um, the music, I think they actually got like a Disney channel movie guy to do the music Mm. and the budget. So what I liked about the movie is that it played out like a Disney channel, original Christmas movie (laughs) in every way other, except there was a ton of blood. I see. And so that was charming. But but the problem with that is it's also a Disney Channel original movie with blood. So so that's fun and funny, but they captured the tone really well. And as a result, I haven't thought about it since I left theaters. Well, all right, then. That's certainly you? something. Um, I'm watching a... There's a couple of anime I'm watching right now. Spy X Family, again, please watch it when you can. Okay. Um, there's this really dumb body swap romantic comedy anime called Kokoro Connect that I'm rewatching. I rewatch it like every three years just okay. because like I like oh, a lot about it. Uh, and then uh, I'm reading this book called Jade City, which is a trilogy about – it's effectively like The Godfather – but with a little bit of a magic system to it where it's like there's these clans that have like access to Jade and Jade makes you super powerful. And like whoever controls the, the Jade is like the powerful clan and they protect the neighborhoods and it's like, it's modern day. Mm -hmm. Um, and Peacock, which is NBC streaming service was supposed to make it. And they actually just bailed on it. And so I was like, I'll read this book so far. Not too bad. Um, so I've been enjoying that. I finished this other book that I really don't recommend called, um, uh, Court of Thorns and Roses, I think. Crud. Okay. It was this. Uh, it was a a very recent romantic fantasy book. Um, and it's a retelling of the Beauty and the Beast fable, 
but it's uh, a girl who's like a huntress because every girl's a huntress these days since Hunger Games. Um, the very first action heroine. A Court of Thorns and Roses, yeah, by Sarah J. Moss. No, so I, I read mean, the first I mean, book. Hunger Games. What about it? The very first action heroine. Can we talk about that for a second? <laughs> Lay it on me, baby. The, the amount of people rushing to protect her for hitting a talking point based off of nothing. Oh, she knows she misspoke. Shut the f*** up. Who, who, are, who are you fooling? Who are you fooling? Okay? <laughs> who are you fooling? She's on a freaking high horse. Okay? Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Utter, utterly agree. stupid. Just trying to score points with one particular fan base. Uh, probably the Swifties because there's a new record out and she's the anti-hero, which I'm sure that play comes into play somehow. Just well, drives I, me gonna, nuts. The where I'll disagree with you is that you just threw shade on Swift. But other than that, I agree. <laughs> Starbucks lovers. Uh, I, oh my gosh, come on. She no, used I, to be so cool. I'm serious. Like Jennifer Lawrence used to be so cool. Like her best friend was like a mentally challenged kid. Like they interviewed him on the news and like they talked to each other on the phone every day. Like she used to be such a good person. I, I think. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to judge her character. I don't know her. I, think I don't know her. It's dumb it's ass just... thing to say. I will state that having looked, what, what she dropped at a middle school, school to pursue acting. I mean, I think it was high school. Let's see. Are, are you saying that she is speaking with somebody who didn't go through eighth grade promotion? I'm saying that I don't know that I would let my kid drop out of high school to pursue yeah, I'll just then you say stupid things. So as soon as you stop your education and enter into that world where that's your goal, just just chop your 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 emotional development off right there. That's, yeah, that's don't get me wrong. Winter's Bone is something else for a premiere film. Oh, I think she's a great go. actor. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. But I'm, like, can't imagine uh, she's a particularly mature human being. It's just one of those things where it's like, if if you like, if if people like somebody, they'll rush and defend the crap out of her. But if somebody you don't like says something similar, then you can just beat the crap out of them, cancel their career forever. It's I don't know. It's yeah. It just really got under my skin that everyone's like, oh, she 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 said she misspoke later. It's fine. It's not fine. Okay, aliens. There's aliens no, is really but, good. But there's no way to read it other than how we read it, which is what exactly the hell are you talking about. What? Uh, yeah. What the hell are you talking about? Get off. Like, okay, she was 14. She dropped out of school. So okay, so so just I don't trust 14 year olds to be particularly mature. Yeah. And her first job acting role was at nine. And then there's a talk here on Wikipedia about how much she liked horses. And anybody who can afford to like horses is coming from a place where she probably didn't have to do a lot of maturing. <laughs> Interesting that you say that, though, because there's a series I've been watching on TikTok of this guy debunking the starving uh, musician uh-huh. um, fallacy. Is it a fallacy? Um, uh-huh. This dude has a whole series chronicling these uh, star, like a star is born, certain people like Ed Sheeran. And Taylor Swift, Imagine Dragons, different like bands that seem like they came from nothing, and then they're these huge, gigantic stars. Uh-huh. And then tracking like every rich member of their family, right? And how right. many millions of dollars uh-huh. their parents had, and how it's all an illusion. So I've been consuming that series, which has been very <laughs> enjoyable because well, it's that, like there is no rags to riches success stories. That's why I always hate. This is a soapbox. This is nothing to do with movies. I've been on the soapbox since I dropped the bomb. 
I I, <laughs> I always hate when billi we, like billionaires tell you to do what you love. <laughs> you. I mean, <laughs> two in one episode. How about that? Um, there was a. I like the. I like watching motivational talks, like TED talks, and yeah, just like people who just like motivate you with like great sayings and great quotes. And one of the ones that popped on my feed was Jeff Bezos. I'm like, I have no interest in what Jeff Bezos says to motivate me, none whatsoever. I, like, I don't. Every billionaire sculpts themselves to look like a rags to riches story, and none of them are. None of them are. Even, yeah, what if Donald Trump had that famous line where he's just like, my father gave me a very small business loan of a million dollars. And it cuts to a kid in the car who's like, my mom literally made me pay for the gas money to drop me off at school today. <laughs> like and stuff you know like what? that. Let's say he didn't make any money from that million dollars. What was the next loan going to be? Yep. Uh, I, you know, I, and then what, this, I, what this person's trying to say is that all those musicians could fall back on literally anything. And I, I'll get off of this. Well, I, what I was trying to say is A Court of Thorn and Roses is like the new Twilight. There's probably going to be a Hulu series. Um, the book itself, I suppose, was fine. But it was also like, I get to, I got to a certain point in the book where certain things are happening. I'm just like, oh, I don't belong in this series. <laughs> so, I so I read that. Um, and, uh, you know, just <laughs> in case I wasn't annoying enough, uh, I did post my uh, top songs of the year on NickWrites.net. So uh, give that a read. Uh, mm -hmm. I have another article coming out soon about uh, the best shows that I saw of the year, and I'll do one about movies and books and such. And um, that's pretty much what I've been consuming. Yes, that's it. I love it. Well, we should. Yeah, uh, man. We should do a news. We've gone long, but we should do a news one. Talk some. DC we will. James yeah, we'll Gunn, we'll talk some, some business. Avatar. There's there's some James Gunn stuff that's people are very upset about today that we'll have to talk about. <laughs> I get it. Oh. Yeah, I but thank you, man. Thoughts, for, but yes. Thank you for gushing about the Green Knight, man. Oh, thank you for having me watch time. this. this I, I can't wait to Merry, watch this again. Beautiful Christmas. Yeah. Happy Christmas, Ron. Happy Christmas, Harry. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. <laughs> we'll see you in the next one. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.